Hello and welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And we're kicking off our podcast this year with a look at the things that businesses have done during lockdown in 2020. And this is based on a really good article that Heather spotted on the BBC website from the end of last year. And it's leading with the figures um, from the Office for National Statistics, which look at the number of companies created in the UK during the second half of 2020. And uh, there's a nice little graph there as well. It's rather lovely. And it shows that in 2020, 13,257 companies um, were um, registered at the end of the year. Is that right, Heather? Have I read that correctly on that report? Yeah, yeah. And that compares to 11,503 for the same period in 2019. So, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the first part of the year, the only time where um, the 2020 figures took a serious dip was right at the beginning of lockdown. So um, up to um, March, it looks like 2020 and 2019 figures were fairly comparable. And then hardly surprisingly, new business registrations took a a real dip in uh, sort of March, April time. But after June, they've been a considerable way above those for 2019. So um, getting up to almost 20,000 at at some points during June and July. So um, have you noticed uh, an increase in, in people talking about setting up businesses, Heather? Is it something that you've been aware of? Yeah, it seems, and this article does kind of touch on this, um, it seems that a lot of people who have been furloughed have either uh, gone and got a job somewhere else, another job, a different job, or they've started to think about ways to to make things. So I know somebody who, for example, um, made face masks. And from making those face masks, okay, admittedly, they have designed clothing and <clears throat> excuse me, designed clothing and you know, made clothing in the past, but they were actually working in a totally unassociated sector. Started making face masks. From that, then started making other items, and is now, you know, running this little business and machine sewing and making all sorts of different products. And I don't think that she at the start of last year thought. I know what I'll do. I'll set up a sort of side hustle. You know, we've talked about side hustles. So, um, yeah, there's been a few people doing that sort of stuff. I mean, what about you? Have you met people who were doing that? I've seen um, people that have pivoted their business. And we've talked about this in previous shows, Mm -hmm. haven't we, where businesses have necessarily had to think of different ways to reach their customers. You know, so they've gone from being a... um, a cafe to be in a takeaway to, to be in a delivery service. But I was interested to read that there are some people that have set up businesses that are just so different to what they were doing. So uh, what one of the people featured in the article uh, used to be cabin crew. And obviously there have been quite a few redundancies from that sector. And she went into floristry, which had always been a hobby, but then she turned it into a business um, and then people just making things that um, using some of the skills that they already had or some of their interests that they already had. Uh, one chap who was furloughed just had a temporary business at smoking salmon. And there was a little picture of him with one of these little tiny wooden miniature shed type things yeah, with a salmon made, hanging up. 
Yeah, he'd made a smoker, hadn't he, out of some old crates or pallets or something. And that looked really good. Yeah. I thought that looked amazing. And and it sort of um it was one of the examples of a company that was set up briefly. So it was while he was furloughed. He hasn't continued it in a big way once he's gone back to his full-time employment. But he's he's kept it ticking over, he said. But you know, there's there's this real mixture of people who've spotted a gap in the market and have created something that will continue to appeal to people at home and outdoor cinemas, for example, to people who've pivoted their business a little bit. So there was one that was going to be a cafe, but they pivoted to be a home meal delivery service. So they're just about to set up their new cafe when it all happened, which must be gutting for them. And and then, um, yeah, the, the likes of the people that have had to take their businesses online. And also I noticed, and I, I took advantage of one of these companies yesterday, virtual gigs, you know, streaming of live comedies and um, musicals and concerts and things like that. Yes. So really good. One that really intrigued me was online wine tasting. <laughs> yeah, we did it with some friends it, um, at the moment when you were actually allowed to, to go into each other's houses. And... Um, it was Tanner's wines, and basically it was it was fantastic. You you basically registered, and they sent you the six bottles of wine that they were going to be sampling, and then and the tasting notes, and then you tuned in, and they talked they talked you through the wines, and you take you sampled them at the same time, and it was it was a really it was a really good thing to do. Was really good, probably better than in some ways than attending a wine tasting. Because sometimes people are a bit well, maybe it's just because I don't know much about wine, but sometimes people are a little bit um, stuffy about wines. But you know, we were able just to talk about whether we liked it, didn't like it, what we thought. It was, it was good, yeah. Oh, nice. Other things that I've done, so as well as the live stream comedy and concerts, I've done quite a few of those. I've also done live stream yoga classes as well. And I, that's enabled me to do more yoga because the yoga classes I like are further away from my home than, you know, just deciding, you know, oh, I'm going to pop and do some yoga. Whereas when I can do it from home, I can just decide on the spur of the moment, pop the yoga mat on the rug and, and shut the living room door and get on with it. So I think some of the things are around to stay now. Yeah, and, and there's this thing in this article, they talk about the fact that um, yeah, we've, we've said before that, you know, people who have been self-employed uh, or run their own businesses have the potential to be unemployable because once you've had that sort of total autonomy, um, it's difficult to go back to taking instruction from other people. And, and they're saying that, you know, some people will really struggle to go back and will work harder to find a way to to hold on to their business even if they run it as a part-time business and do some part-time work for somebody else but they retain that sense of control over their own destiny I guess. Yeah I can see that. The other thing the article picked out uh, which is something I really noticed is the the effort that a lot of people are going to to support local businesses yeah. and this is where um, targeting your customers through Facebook uh, Facebook and Instagram actually helps with those local businesses. One thing I wasn't quite sure, I felt a little bit offended because I'm not in that group, but I think they perhaps are correct, is as the article said that because social media is the marketplace, 
that younger people have an advantage. And, you know, 50-year-old me was going, hmm, I, I don't think so. But uh, in reality, when I read the example, I thought, oh, yeah, there's a really good example of where I haven't got a clue. And it was a, a company um, selling jewellery online using TikTok. And so it went completely over my head. So I thought, OK, point well made. <laughs> We think we're all over it, but there's <laughs> stuff we don't even know about that we're not all over. Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that whole wanting to support local enterprises has been a big thing. And I know certainly when I was doing my Christmas shopping, I tried to shop, you know, with local small businesses as much as possible. And I think that this article does just highlight some of the really innovative ideas you know, there's a guy who's making chocolate on his kitchen table, um, which, you know, enabled him to look after his kids because they weren't going to school and also make some money and sell that online. Um, but they start off with, you know, their family and friends and just like you would if you were intending to set up a business, but they're sort of just thrown into it a little bit, um, well, without planning it, you know, they they just happen to be, in a situation and think, well, what can I do? Let's give it a go. Can I just add on that, just on that article, it's part of um, a series that the BBC have done called um, CEO Secrets. And they've been talking to various CEOs, as you might imagine. Um, and it's actually a really useful and interesting catalogue of articles and videos. There's loads of people on there who've done all sorts of amazing things. Uh, and I think it's certainly worth having a look at. You know, they're all quite short. Um, and this, the article that we focused on today is just one out of out of the series. So I'll put yeah. a link to this on, on our website um, because I think it's, it's just really interesting. Yeah, I think it, this website is almost a summary of a lot of other smaller articles. So each of the people that we've mentioned here, you know, starting with the smoked salmon business and the cafe delivering food, each of those lead into a, another story on, on the website. So that there's plenty of detail and, and inspiration as well. If you've got any ideas or, or, you know, you're vaguely tempted to think about setting up a business, this is a great place to start because these are just ordinary people from ordinary backgrounds with an idea and they've run with it. You're listening to the business community and we're looking at a book this week in our review section. Uh, regular listeners will know that we um, we had a, a period of time when we spent a lot of time looking at four minute books, which in itself is an amazing website. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, this this guy reads the book so that we don't have to picks out the salient points and shares them with us um and this week that's where we've gone to review a book that's got um, quite an unusual title it's radical candor by kim scott now kim scott has written quite a few books she she wrote a, a book called um uh just work and she also got and it has a subtitle which has a swear word in it which I probably won't but it's basically get stuff done fast and fair um and also how to be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity uh she also founded a company called Radical Candor and has been um a, a coach with large organizations the likes of Dropbox, Twitter etc but this book um 
I started off by looking at what does it mean, radical candor. So radical means far-reaching and thorough, and candor means being open and honest in expression. So I thought I started with that point. Um, and then and then obviously worked my way through the four-minute book um, summary. Tracy, did you look at four-minute books or did you... Oh, yeah, it was a really useful reminder, Heather. Four Minute Books used to be a, a real go-to website for us. And um, we got out of the habit of going there, I think. And I was so pleased that you reminded me of it because it was a lovely introduction into the subject. And it made me think, well, I, I want to know more about it now, which I think it ends up serving its purpose then as a, as a gateway to uh, to the actual book itself. And uh, I, it led me on to look at their website as well. So Radical Candor website. Just wanted to, to mention, she's got a really unusual and diverse CV as Kim Scott. I don't know if you've seen, but as well as founding Radical Candor and being an author, uh, she was a CEO coach, which, which seems to be quite a big thing, certainly in a lot of the tech companies. And um she was also a member of Apple University and worked with AdSense, YouTube, DoubleClick, teams at Google. But she also managed a paediatric clinic in Kosovo and started a diamond cutting factory in Moscow. What? <laughs> That's according to her bio on RadicalCanda.com. I thought that was really... Um, unusual to have that eclectic a mix of I thought my CV was a bit unusual but that that is and really special I think um but I I like the book and I like the idea I liked uh, the website there's loads of detail on the website their blog is is brilliant and um I think before we go into the detail of the book I would say that if you're, you're tempted by the book, it might be worth taking a look at the website first and, and reading some of the blog articles. They've got things like how to roll out Radical Candor to your team. And there's, it, they're really long blog posts as well. So there's a lot of material included in there. And then how to um, give humble feedback, I thought was another useful article on there. That's really good. And what I think was an absolute gem on the website and what captured my imagination more than the website itself, don't know if you've heard it, Heather, is there's a little um, audio clip, um, a preview of the book. It's provided by the publishers on their SoundCloud site. Um, and I believe it's the author speaking, but she she talks you know, through the premise of the book and uh, where she started. The thing I thought was particularly interesting and that stood out for me in this quite short uh, audio preview, where she talks about listening to staff and, and how she was, she described a typical day where she'd, one member of staff had got a, an emotional issue, a family problem, and then she moved along in the office and somebody else had got a completely different issue. And she thought she was wasting her time. She hadn't had time to do her real work. And she was moaning about this to her CEO coach. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, th this isn't uh, babysitting. This is your job. This is what you do as a manager. And, and that really stood out for me. Yeah, the um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the summary, you know, talks about a lot of those. It's a way of thinking. It's actually a mindset, um, and of course, you need to be aware 
you need to be aware of your staff and what they're going through and what support they need from you. But they also need to understand what you need from them. And okay, sometimes it's not easy to, to, to take feedback, but ultimately that's what makes for the, the, the strong working relationship. And one, uh, a quote um, that Four Minute Books picked out, which I think is, is brilliant, a quote from the author, obviously, um, make sure that you are seeing each person on your team with fresh eyes every day. People evolve, and so your relationships must evolve with them. Care personally, don't put people in boxes and leave them there. And, and I mean, that's true. If your team isn't growing, if your people aren't evolving and developing, that's not what you want, is it? You don't want, you don't want somebody to join the business and just say exactly where they were when they joined the business. They, you want them to become immersed and embedded and, and bring what they learn about the business to the foreground. So I, I, I just think it's genius. And yeah, okay, as you've just said, that might seem like hard work, but no, actually, that's what your job is. Yeah. <laughs> You'd do it with a machine, wouldn't you? You would, yes. Keep an eye on a machine and keep it serviced and keep it up to date. One of the other things I picked up from Four Minute Books, they're really good at saying what the lessons they've learned about from the book. And one of them is get to know your employees' real motivations so you can support them by having honest conversations. And, and this isn't just about their day-to-day -day working life. It talks here about getting into the life story and understanding how they got to where they are in, in their life, uh, where they are in their career, what their dream job is, what's their biggest career aspiration, and where they want to be in the next 18 months. And uh, I think that's something that sometimes perhaps a leader is afraid of because you fear that you might be leading them out of the business. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, we've seen examples of this uh, in, with things that we've talked about in the past, you know, with the mentoring upwards and also, you know, Steve Jobs was, and it's mentioned again on Four Minute Books, you know, he was renowned for asking people to challenge. And you know, yes, that's a brave move um, because there's a risk that you might actually turn out to be wrong about something as a manager. And you've got to be able to base that out but it's about giving people the platform to, to share their views and opinions. And in fact, Steve Jobs um, is mentioned here that he, he, um, he got angry once because an employee who'd given up on convincing Steve Jobs to change his mind ended up being right. And uh, Steve Jobs was really annoyed because it was like, why did you stop telling me that you were right? You know, And I, I think for a lot of people, a lot of managers sometimes we don't want to hear that stuff so yeah I think you're right it's 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 driven by fear I guess sometimes well, are you tempted to actually buy this book Heather having read the summary and explored a little further I I think it's a great resource I I haven't visited the website which I will do um before I consider buying the book because it, it may be that with four minute books and then looking at the author I learn a lot of the stuff that's that's in the book anyway but I wouldn't not buy it and of course if you go to four minute books you can download pdf yeah excellent well I, I reckon um, it's worth exploring if you're a leader in a business or an aspiring leader then I, I think it's really worth um, exploring a little bit further whether you go to four minute books whether you go to the radical candor website or, or buy the book itself 
Um, it's called Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity by Kim Malone-Scott. Our profile on the business community this week is of a gentleman called Reed Hastings, or his full name I understand as Wilmot Reed Hastings. And he is the co-founder, chairman and co-chief executive officer of Netflix. Now, what I wanted to start with, Heather, is something we haven't done for ages, and that's a quote from the person we're profiling. Oh. We used to do it on a regular basis, and we, we, did. we somehow stopped doing it, didn't we? Yeah. Maybe we just didn't find interesting enough quotes. Possibly we just forgot. Anyway, yeah. um, I just uh, I picked up this quote. It was featured on Forbes, and I thought I, I would share it with you. It's, he said, incredible people don't want to be micromanaged. We manage through setting context and letting people run. Now, it's really interesting. We chose Reed Hastings as uh, a person to profile um, completely separately to the idea of radical candor and the, and the idea of what's happened to businesses over lockdown, but rather fortuitously, almost as if we planned it this way. <laughs> Reed Hastings' story links into both of the things that we've just discussed, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. He, he uses, uh, he follows the practice of radical candor um, in, in his business, in his his day-to-day operation and um and that's not always <laughs> he might he might have adopted it but he might not necessarily be doing it always in line with what kim scott would suggest is the right way to do it but yeah um, but, it, but he's anyway. got a um very distinct management style which i'm sure we'll come on to let's get some of the the basic stats out of the way first so um his real-time net worth as of um today the day we're recording this was 5.2 billion dollars and um he owns currently one percent of netflix which is actually a public company and he co-founded it in 1995 um and it started out as a dvd subscription service uh, is anybody old enough to remember the dvd subscription service from netflix i wonder i i remember yeah, and that that was the um, that was basically where they sent them to you. You watched them, and then you sent them back. A sort of step yeah. on from Blockbuster and and what was tool. radical about their subscription service? There were no late fees compared to Blockbuster. You could just keep the DVDs as long as you wanted, but you you paid for the subscription service. But their streaming content started in two thousand and seven, which seems like a long time ago, and yet quite recent as well I, I haven't quite got my head around it and their real big breakthrough was obviously when they were uh, they developed house of cards on netflix and we've talked about how they developed that idea and how that was how that disrupted the market but since then wow netflix massive disruptors to the market uh, to entertainment business and it's left a lot of the bigger companies um catching up with them Interestingly enough, I, I did read in one of the articles, this was on Forbes as well, uh, describe, um, Hastings was talking about Amazon and saying that um, they've been competing with Amazon for 13 years. But this article says that actually um, for Amazon, streaming was um, mainly to generate prime shopping memberships. 
And the, the author of this article said that for Jeff Bezos, entertainment will always be a side hustle. Because say that made me smile. I never thought <laughs> that Amazon Prime streaming service as a side hustle before, but I suppose <laughs> you, you've you've got all different scales of side hustles going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean um, Hastings came from a um, an IT background, a, a soft. You know, he set up software companies, managed software companies, so it's not an obvious transition i guess but you know you said that um it was set up in 2007 which seems both a long time ago and very recently i wonder whether that's partly to do with the fact that certainly through covid people are using netflix who would never have used netflix they've put out material that has kept a lot of us sane you know they've released stuff that they might not have released they've um, done early issue so I wonder whether it's just that it's really come perhaps in the last few years and then wham in 2020. Um, it's kind of like, is there anything on Netflix? Is something that we say? Yeah. You know, rather than is there anything on the telly? You know, is, is there anything on Netflix that we need to be up to speed with? And I think, you know, that's genius. Yeah. And I think the way that the business has developed has been particularly valuable during the the pandemic uh, so in this article i've referred to before in forbes by a lady called uh, dawn chamalowski from september last year she says that um 2019 pandemic gave netflix's innovative culture a proper stress test and as film and television production ground to halt in new york and hollywood netflix's global content machines began sparking back into life so it wasn't a new thing to have um, remote workers with Netflix. Remote autonomy wasn't anything that the Netflix Netflix crew needed to learn. And because they'd been focusing on international content, they were able to get content from Iceland and South Korea quite quickly as they got their um, COVID levels under control. So it's really interesting, as well as all, all really understanding what it is that people want to see. The way that they're actually set up to be quite innovative and quite uh, flexible meant that it's really suited the pandemic well as well. Going back to the um, radical candor, um, I found a story uh, when I was doing doing my research about um, a guy called Mark Randolph, who actually was the co-founder of Netflix um, and who now has you know disappeared from the scene. Um, he's written a book. Um, that's called That Will Never Work. And maybe that's something that we might want to um, have a look at reviewing. Um, but essentially, the thing that caught my eye um, was the fact that he was, um, Mark Randolph was, as I said, coldly fired via a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and essentially, in the middle of a presentation, Hastings announced that he basically would be doing Randolph's job. Wow, okay. <laughs> Which, you know, not, not necessarily in the true spirit of radical candour. Um, and, and Randolph talks about this in his book. Well, there's another influence I read about um, where um, the Netflix way is uh, similar to the principles of brutal transparency. 
uh, Ray Dalio's uh, brutal transparency. Um, I gotta say that, yeah, brutal seems to come into it more than candor or radical. <laughs> so brutal transparency. Yeah. It's a it's a bit scary. Um, a former executive of Netflix described the work environment as a culture of fear. And uh, it's interesting that everybody is is giving feedback um, and the annual review process is 360 uh, review process where everybody gives feedback in front of everybody else. It lasts for hours and you've got people crying. Wow. (laughs) Okay, that's not my style. It clearly works for Netflix because they're doing amazing things. But um, I I think I read somewhere else that... um, it's interesting that um, Hastings seems unnaturally comfortable amid the train wreck that is 2020 um, because his company's culture was for, forged in crisis. So the, it was all happening around the dot-com bubble and then 9-11. And um, I think I read somewhere that he had to cut a third of his employees and uh, they uh, decided to identify the high performers and call them the keepers. And then right. he was a little bit worried that morale would plummet, but apparently the opposite happened. So by me, um, by wheedling out the merely competent employees, the rest of the office was left energised and buzzing with passion. So if you're merely competent, then that that's not good enough. They don't want you. <laughs> no. no. Um, so I, th- I thought um, that whole approach for me um, quite quite nerve-wracking I think you've got to be a particular um kind of person to thrive from that and I think it's been likened to a professional sports team where you get used to the fact that you know you get in the best players but then you let them go as soon as their performance drops and uh, I I read another quote somewhere that they obviously pay these good people big money Um, I won't use the language that was described to uh, used to describe it but it begins with s and and uh, is a pile of money Um, (laughs) and apparently it this is about you get paid a lot of money you don't get a lot of other benefits like you don't get a parking space you don't get a secretary but you get paid a lot of money but no part of the company tolerates resting on your laurels and adequate performance gets a generous severance package so if you're merely competent or you perform adequately, no thank you. This yeah. is about being elite at the top of your game and that's all they want. And they're quite happy to, to hire people in on big money, but let them go as soon as their performance dips. Wow. <laughs> yeah. that. So that would support the thinking that it is a culture of fear because you are that, you, you know, you can't you can't just cruise at all at any point never mind what's going on in your private life you you've got to be re- aiming for the top all the time by the sound of it which could be quite exhausting i guess the um back in on his wikipedia entry he talks about um how he had the idea for netflix and we've talked about um uh how it kind of works and he said he he'd um, he'd taken a copy of Apollo 13 out of his local video store um, and he'd got a bit, he'd forgotten to take it back. Well, he'd lost it. And he said it was six weeks late and I owed the video store $40. I'd misplaced the cassette. It was all my fault. I didn't want to tell my wife about it. And I said to myself, I'm going to compromise the integrity of my marriage over a late fee. 
He said, later on the way to the gym, I realized they had a much better business model. You could pay 30 or $40 a month and work out as little or as much as you wanted. And let's face it, we all do that. You know, we've all had a gym subscription and then never gone. So it's, I think he combined those two and that was that was the thinking behind Netflix. So um, Yeah, and most businesses now that are, are reinventing themselves, uh, they're all going to the subscription model, aren't they? Yeah. Even yeah. with software companies, you know, the Microsoft, you can't just buy an off-the-shelf package of microsoft and install it on your computer anymore they don't want that they want you to subscribe don't they yeah. so yeah yeah interesting stuff um no i don't think netflix is going anywhere anytime soon um, I not because i use it loads <laughs> yeah exactly 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 i'm sure you know i'm sure many people do but um that's uh reed hastings uh co-founder chairman and chief executive officer of netflix that's all we've got time for this week on the business community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Music.